Thank you, worship team. Good morning, church, and welcome to the first service in 2021. It is beautiful uh, to see you all. My name is Graham, and I'm one of the pastors here. My daughter just said, who's Pastor Graham? Can I eat you? Uh, she can. She's allowed to. Uh, so, 2021, how's it been? Uh, hopefully, a good start for all of you. Uh, I love New Year's because it kind of represents new beginnings, and it usually is a time of year where we make promises, uh, we, some of us make resolutions, and usually they are good things, right? We set about, we're going to exercise, uh, we're going to eat healthy, maybe we're going to learn a language, we're going to do a project, uh, maybe we're going to read the Bible all in one year. Uh, they're all good things, but I've never heard of someone that's intentionally plans on doing uh, the wrong thing. Right? You don't hear people say, well, this year I've committed to eating five tin tams a day. Although I do that, but, uh, I, you know, just committed. I'm committed to gossiping more. Right? I'm committed to indulging myself in any way possible. You don't really hear of those kind of resolutions. Uh, most people don't plan self-sabotage, right? But if we're honest, there are times when we've done the wrong thing. Not by mistake, but by knowing something is wrong and still doing it, right? Everything tells you this is wrong, but I'm going to do it anyway, right? Does anyone else relate to that? Is that only me? Okay, there's three of us. Sure, okay, good. The rest of us, I need you. Um, it's kind of like that leftover dessert on Boxing Day, right? You gorge yourself on Christmas Day, Boxing Day. Like, do I really need that fifth helping of dessert? No, but I'm going to do it anyway. Um, like Pastor Ali said, we are starting a series in the book of Ruth. Now, Ruth is kind of like the Cinderella story uh, of the Bible. And because it kind of gets labeled as this love story, it somehow doesn't get the attention it deserves. But the book of Ruth has much, much to teach us if we will just stop and listen. And uh, it begins like this. It says, in the days when the judges ruled. Now, that was not a very good time for the people of Israel. If we look at the book of Judges in chapter 2, it says this. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served Baals. They abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers who had brought them out of Egypt. They went after other gods from among the gods of people who were around them and bowed down to them. And they provoked the Lord to anger. Throughout the book of Judges, there's this verse that gets repeated again and again. And this is the verse. It says, In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. People just said, well, I get to define good and evil for myself. And I will do what I want to do. And if you look at the book of Judges, it's kind of like this circle, right? The people sin, the Lord brings punishment to bring them back to the senses. They finally get it. They cry out to God. He raises up a judge to deliver them. And then they sin again, repeat, 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 repeat. And you find that all the way through the book of Judges. So this is what's happening at a national level. So when we read there was a famine in the land... It was because Israel had been abandoning God. 
God who had been faithful to them, God who had rescued them out of Egypt, a famine was of their own making, right? Here they are in Bethlehem, which means house of bread, and there is no bread. There is no provision. But in Moab, which is just about 100 kilometers away in enemy territory, they have bread. They have food. How sad. How sad. And in that setting, we now zoom in on a family that's living through all this. And we meet Elimelech. Now, Elimelech, his name means God is king. But Elimelech doesn't live like God is king. And this can sadly happen to us. We can say one thing with our lips, but the lives that we lead are actually very different. Oh, yeah, we love Jesus. Yeah, we love coming to church. But really, how we live is not what we speak. Now, Elimelech had two sons, Marlon and Chilion. And their names literally mean sickly and wasting away, right? Basically, sick and dying. Great names to give your kids, right? Sick and dying, come over here. Uh, But it it does kind of reveal the situation that they were in. They were in a famine, and you're kind of like, well, yeah, you look pretty sick, and you're going to die. Sick and dying, there we go. But more than that, it reveals the attitude of Elimelech's heart to name his kids that. Right now, humanly speaking... There is a famine. Your kids are sick and dying, literally. What would you do? You know that there's food a week's journey away. What would you do? Well, it really depends on who you see as your source of provision. If you think you are the source of provision, you will do whatever you can to make it happen. But if you see the Lord as your provision, then you will rely on Him. You will listen to Him and you will follow Him. Elimelech is not such a man. Elimelech is a man who thinks he is the source of provision. He looks at the situation and says, that's enough. Pleasant, which is Naomi, and sick and dying. Pack your bags. We're out of here. We're off. Dad, where are we going? Moab. I'm taking you away from God's people. I'm taking you away from church. I'm taking you away from community. But there's food there. Dad, are are you sure? Like, shouldn't we pray about this? I mean, we, we live in a place called House of Bread. No, guys, I'm taking control. My job is to provide for the family. Let's go. We're out of here. And so off they go. Now, the question we have to ask is, why did... Elimelech make this decision to take his family to Moab. He didn't want them to die, right? He didn't want them to starve to death. But look what happens in verse 3. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died. And she was left with her two sons. He dies, right? The very thing he's trying to avoid happens. He actually, right... If you look at Elimelech, you think, oh, what a terrible mistake. But actually, Elimelech's mistakes began way before that. Right? He thought, as a dad, 
only thing that I'm responsible for is to provide for my family. My job is to put food on the table and that's it. He didn't take responsibility for leading his family spiritually, right? He never pointed them to the Lord. And he certainly doesn't live a life that's an example of someone who seeks after the Lord, who inquires of the Lord, who follows the Lord. He just goes, no, I'm in charge. This is all my job. This is all I do. I only provide for you. And dad's... I want you to really hear my heart in this, right? Actually, not just dads, right? All men in this room. One day you're going to be dads. If you're not a dad yet, you will be, right? The kind of life we live, the way we model, the things we live out, the things that are really, really important to us, your kids will see. And those are the things that they're going to pick up on. If we really, truly believe that the Word of God is valuable, it's, it's, it's useful, like as Ollie said, for teaching, training, and righteousness, if we really believe that, we'll spend time in it. And our kids will see us spending time in it, and they'll pick that up. If we really think, oh my goodness, it is important that we're with God's people, we gather together to worship Him, your kids will see that, and they'll pick up on that. If they're in a home that sees you asking for forgiveness when you mess up. If you're in a family where you pray about decisions together, your kids will see that. And they'll pick those things up. But Elimelech was not such a man. Because look what happens to Elimelech's sons. In verse 4, it says this, These took Moabite wives. The name of one was Orpah, and the name of the other was Ruth. They lived there about 10 years. They took Moabite wives, right? The very thing the people of God were not to do, they did, right? The Moabites, you look at their history, they descended from a guy called Lot who had incest with his oldest daughter. She gave birth to a son called Moab. Like that's, what a scandalous way to start a people group. But that's, that's the history of the Moabites, right? You meet someone new, hi, oh, where are you from? Oh, I'm from Moab. Oh, you guys, you're descended from the Vikings or something. No, well, actually, there's this guy called Lot, and this weird thing happened with his daughter. And, you know, immorality will lead to idolatry, and that's exactly what happened to the Moabites. They worship the false god, Chemosh, a god of their own imagination which they made up and they decided that this god Chemosh is very demanding and he demands human sacrifice. So the Moabites would sacrifice their own children to a false god. That was the Moabites. And yet these two Jewish boys marry Moabite girls. Right? The very thing God was punishing his people Israel for doing they go ahead and do themselves. And Naomi, as a mom, right, she could have just said, well, boys, like, don't just look what's in front of you. I know they look pretty and everything, but really, find yourself a wife from God's people. All you need to do is take a week's journey back to Israel, go to church, and find a wife. But the boys did what was right in their own eyes, and look what happens to them. 
verse 5, and both Marlon and Kilion died. So the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Happy ending. No, terrible ending, right? That's it, right? The very thing Elimelech wants to do is avoid their family dying, and they died, right? Naomi is, is now left with nothing, right? No one to take care of her. No one to carry on the family name. Like, this is the end of the line. But the one thing it does do is it causes Naomi to reach for the only thing that she does have. And she begins the long walk home, right? The long walk back to her people, back to her Lord. She's been away 10 years. It's a long time to be away. Guys, sometimes the Lord in His grace will let us get to the end of ourselves so that we can come to our senses and turn back to Him. You know, some of us have in a real sense been away from the Lord for a long time. We've been away from really investing and committing to being with God's people. If, if this story tells us anything, it's not too late. It's not too late. The Lord is calling you to return to His people. See, why does Naomi return? She's in Moab, and there's a report that comes that the Lord has visited His people and given them food. Naomi's reminded again that the Lord is the provider. He is faithful to his people even in their unfaithfulness. So she goes back with her daughters-in-law. Come guys, we're, we're going to go back. But a little bit into the journey, she stops and she goes, Well, girls, actually, you're better off here with your own people serving your false god, Chemosh. Right? And... She prays for them. She says, may the Lord bless you because you've blessed me, right? You guys have been kind to me and I, I pray that you'll get blessed. I pray that you'll get married again. You know, she kissed them. There's affection there. She cares for them. And then the girls hear this. They, they weep and they cry. This is one of those horrible goodbye scenes, right? They're tearing each other apart. I mean, most people couldn't wait to get rid of their mothers-in-law. But not, not these girls. They're like, we're staying with you, Naomi. We're prepared to give up everything to go with you. And they say, no, 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 Naomi. We're, we're going with you. And then Naomi gives them, like a good Jewish mother, she gives them a reality check. Right? She says, look, girls, just stop. Let's just pause here for a moment. I want you to get this. This is a no-hope situation if you come with me. Right? In those days, there's no social welfare. There's no government support. If a girl wanted to be looked after, it meant that she had to get married. She had to have a husband who would take care of her, or at least she would have kids that would look after her. And Naomi says, girls, I've got nothing, right? I've got no husband. There's no future sons on the way. And if you come with me to Israel, when they see you, there's no chance anybody's going to want you, right? You guys have been married before, you widows, and... Like your Moabites, your foreign girls. Reality check, girls, this is not good. If you want to follow me, you need to surrender all your hopes and dreams. You will have to die to yourself. And Orpah cries at this news. 
because she really, really cares for her mother-in-law, but she's not about to risk any hope that she has for a future on her. That's too much of a leap, right? I mean, she really likes her, but she's not going to surrender everything to her. Surely not. So she kisses Naomi goodbye, and she goes back to her people, back to worshiping her false god, Chemosh, and she is never heard of again. Guys, where there is a call to follow Christ, there is this call to die to ourselves, to surrender all our hopes and dreams, everything we give to Him. It's not a half-hearted commitment. Yeah, I kind of like Jesus. I kind of like what He says, some of the things, but I'm not all in, right? I'm not going to bet everything on Him. I'm still going to kind of keep a little bit to myself. That's Orpah. Right? That's like, no, I'm not, no, I can't do all of that. But Ruth, look at Ruth. Ruth clung to her. And that word clung is the same word used in Genesis 2, where it says, A husband shall leave his mother and father and cling to his wife. Ruth is making her covenant moment here. That word literally means to pursue closely, to join together. What a beautiful moment. But Naomi, she must have got some really bad training in Evangelism 101, right? Here it is. Ruth's saying, Naomi, don't you get it? I want to follow you. I want to follow Yahweh the Lord. And Naomi goes, oh, no, really you shouldn't. Like, didn't you see your sister-in-law? Like, go back with her. Like, she's much better off. Follow her example. You know, follow the God who requires human sacrifices. But Ruth... Ruth just cements her decision. She goes, Naomi, don't you see? I know the cost of following you. And I'm prepared to pay that cost. Everything, all of me, I surrender everything that I have. My future, my hope, I will give it all. See, this is Ruth's conversion moment. She says, Naomi, I'm changing addresses. I'm no longer living in the kingdom of Moab. The kingdom of death? No, I'm moving to the kingdom of Israel. The kingdom of light. Guys, for us, when we come to Christ, we move from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. We don't have a foot in either kingdom. Ruth says to Naomi, your God is my God, right? I'm leaving all those idols behind me. Chemosh, no more. Right? All the idols that we serve, We leave them behind. No, we choose to follow the Lord, the creator of heaven and earth. I'm going to live in a new way. And Ruth says, this isn't just something I'm going to try. It isn't just a few days. I'll I'll come with you and see how things work out in Israel. And if it's not great, then I'll go back to Moab. And she says, no, I'm going to die there. I'm going to give you my whole life. That's pretty awesome. This is Ruth's moment. And She prays. Probably this is her first prayer as a believer, right? I I love listening to uh, new believers when they pray. Like, it's very real and raw, and they haven't learned all the Christian jargon yet, so they just pray as the words come out of their mouth, and it's a beautiful thing to listen to. And this is Ruth's first prayer. Her first prayer is one of utter commitment. She says, may the Lord do to me, and more so also, if Anything but death parts me from you. 
Ruth is saying, Lord, I am all in, all in, utter commitment. I surrender everything to you. You see, so Naomi, the not-so-great evangelist, I take great encouragement from Naomi, right? I don't know if you've ever kind of been praying for someone and then they kind of come to you and they've got questions about the Lord and they're kind of opening up and you think, yes, this is a great moment. And then you botch it. You have to, the words that come out of your mouth, you kind of, that all fails you and you think, oh, I just, I just messed up that moment. Well, none of us have done as badly as Naomi and God still used that moment, right? So there's hope for all of us in our evangelism. We can, God can still use us. So Naomi and Ruth, they carry on till they get to Bethlehem. Now, can you imagine the scene? This is in the days before Facebook. Naomi hasn't been posting about her last 10 years in Moab and the meals that they've been eating. No one's seen her for 10 years, and she suddenly arrives back in Bethlehem, right? And when people see her, they go like, whoa, it's pretty clear it's been a rough 10 years, Right? Oh, no husband, no sons, and, and you've got this foreign girl with you. Right? You can just one look at them, you can tell it's been pretty difficult 10 years. I don't know if you've ever bumped into someone you haven't seen for a long time, and you can hardly recognize them. Um, when, when I was at school, there was one boy in our class, his name was Neil, and uh, he had a very geeky way of dressing, and he was captain of the chess team, and he was very shy. I don't know how else to say this, but Neil was like the stereotypical nerd, right? Like the ultra nerd. And um, he was kind of skinny. And a few years later, a group of friends and myself, we were out, and we met Neil. And Neil had bulked up. He suddenly had shoulders out here, and he was wearing a black leather jacket, Black leather jeans, black boots, and he had piercings all over his ears and a cigarette in his mouth. And we were like, whoa, Neil, what happened to you? Right? It was like a shocking moment. And as you can imagine, Neil was the talk amongst us for ages. Did you see Neil? Did you see what happened to him? And that's exactly what it would have been like here, right? Naomi and Ruth come into town, and the whole town, like a nice, juicy piece of gossip, is talking about them. Have you seen Ruth? Oh, she's really aged, hasn't she? Wow, must have been tough in Moab. And Ruth and Naomi, Naomi goes, she knows what the whole town is saying about it, and she just doesn't hold back. She just pours out her heart, and she goes, guys, don't even call me Naomi, which means pleasant. Rather call me an old, bitter woman. Call me Mara, right? That's what I am. And she goes, you know what? This, this whole situation, it's actually God's fault. Four times she points the finger at God. This is what she says. The Almighty has dealt with me very bitterly. The, the Lord has brought me back empty. The Lord has testified against me. The Lord has brought calamity upon me. Right? Do you think in all that, right, just maybe, just maybe her husband, Elimelech, is just a little bit to blame, right? He's the one who took the family down to Moab, right? But who does she point the finger at? She says, well, no, it's you, God. It's the state of Naomi's heart. She's bitter at her situation. She doesn't even hide it. And that bitterness is directed towards God. 
She just can't see any good in anything, anything in life. She can't see the faithfulness of her daughter-in-law right next to her. She says, oh, the Lord brought me back empty. No, he didn't. He brought her back full. He had given her Ruth's faithfulness right next to her. Couldn't see it. You know, it's the same problem that goes all the way back to the garden. When God said to Adam, Adam, you can eat from any tree in this garden, any tree except one. Just don't touch that one, please, Adam. And what does Adam do? He goes and eats the very fruit he shouldn't. And the Lord comes and finds him and says, Adam, did you eat from the tree I told you not to eat? And instead of saying, yes, I did it, it was me, I'm a worm, I'm sorry. No, what Adam does is he blames God. He says, well, actually, God, it's, it's kind of your fault because you gave me that woman and she caused the whole thing. So, like, if you hadn't given her to me, none of this would have happened. It's your fault. Guys, and, and we can do exactly the same thing if we're not careful. Right? We either blame God directly or indirectly. In a situation, it can blind us and bitterness can take over in such a way that we just fail to see his loyalty, his steadfast, loyal love right next to us. Right next to us. In the middle of our pain, he's right there. Because if we look, he's right there. Right? Elimelech failed God. Marlon failed God. Kilion failed God. Naomi failed God. But God did not fail. His faithfulness remained. His redemption was right there. His loyal love was with them all the way through it. Uh, when I was a young adult, which was a long time ago, but I was part of a, a community group, and I, I live quite close to university, and there were two girls studying physiotherapy. And because I live close by to the university, I'd pick them up and take them to community group. And I got to know them quite well. Uh, beautiful girls with a beautiful faith. And one in particular, her name was Jenny. She really was outspoken with her, fame, uh, with her faith, had a beautiful family that she came from. Uh, and about midway through the year, Jenny started dating a guy that wasn't a believer. And, uh, you know, one of those things where you know, like, oh, I should say something. Like, you know, that whole thing, don't be unequally yoked. It's not really uh, kind of black and, it's pretty black and white. Maybe I should say something. But uh, she's so happy. I don't want to spoil her happiness. I don't want to be the bad guy. And, you know, she'd say stuff, oh, he's, he's so close. He's asking all these really deep questions about the Lord, and he's, he's coming to church, and he wants to come to community group. And I'm like, of course he does, girl. He, he's interested in you, but I don't say anything. And I kind of think to myself, well, maybe the community group leader will say something, right? They should say something. Didn't say anything. Maybe one of her female friends will say something. Didn't say anything. Anyway, towards the end of that year, Jenny fell pregnant. And um, I remember speaking to her shortly after. First year, 19 years old, great student, doing really well at physio. And she's pregnant. And I remember speaking to her and she said, I feel like I've, I've failed God. I've, 
failed the people at church. My witness amongst my uni mates is gone. And I just want to hide away. I want to run away. And we convinced her, no, you've got to come back. You've got to come back. And she came to church. I remember the day she walked into church, visibly pregnant, 19. But she was in a grace community. And the church just rallied around her, loved her, walked with her through so many difficult years. She was a single mom, right, trying to finish her studies as a single mom, lived with the stigma of, of having a baby so young. But this is Jenny's story. Today, she has a successful physio practice. She's married to a man who's very godly. As a family, they serve in church. They love Jesus. And she's got three beautiful children. Jenny's story is, is even in the absolute worst of my sin, in stuff that I knew what was wrong and I did it anyway, he showed his loyal love to me. You know, this opening chapter of Ruth is one that just seems to go down and down. There's tragedy upon tragedy. But if we miss it, we will miss this beautiful highlight of this girl, Ruth. This picture of absolute faithfulness. A loyal love in a completely unexpected place, right? In a nation that had abandoned God. When everyone did what was right in their own eyes. In a, in a family that didn't bother to seek God or, or ask Him what they should do. But they just did what was right in their own eyes. In the middle of that, we see this loyal love. right? This undeserved love. And it comes from no place an Israelite would have ever expected. Right? They would have scoffed at the thought of anything good coming out of Moab. And yet, we have Ruth, right? The most unlikely place. Redemption comes from the most unlikely place. Centuries later, a loyal love would come again. Not just to a nation that was unfaithful, but to an entire world that does what is right in their own eyes and there is no fear of God before them. And yet, in the person of Jesus... Born in the very town of Bethlehem, he showed us what loyal love looks like. The question I have for myself and for all of us today is, in our circumstances, do we sometimes lose sight of God's loyal love? Do we just fail to see it right there in front of us? When all we can see is the hopelessness of our situation and this bitterness towards other people until the Lord rises up, do we see that His loyal love is right there? You know, this chapter ends with a beautiful verse, and we can miss it if we don't see it. But if you look at verse 22 with me, it says this. So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab, they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Right? They back where it started. The very place they left because there was no hope, no provision, they're now back because there is hope. Hope is returning. Hope is being restored. 
Because the Lord is faithful. Even in the mess we can create for ourselves. Guys, yes, the Lord does discipline us. He does. He promises He does that because He loves us. And He does it because He wants to turn our eyes back to Him to show where the true source of, of hope and trust is. It's in Him and Him alone. I believe that the Lord is calling some of us today who are hanging on to, to bitterness. And it is it's bitterness about their circumstance or their situation, and it's spilt out towards other people. And ultimately, it's spilt out towards God. God wants to remind you today to lift your eyes up to Him, to see His, His loyal love is right there, right beside you. You know? I believe there are others of us who have wandered from the Lord. Maybe you've got yourselves into situations or habits or relationships that you know you shouldn't have. And you've done it anyway. He wants to call you back. He wants to show you that His love is loyal. You know, Jesus can take the worst of our sin and make something beautiful out of it. There's this verse in Nehemiah that is actually about the Moabites, and it says this, For they, the Moabites, did not meet the people of Israel with bread and water, but hired Balaam against them to curse them. And then here comes the beautiful little bit. Yet our God turned the curse into a blessing. Yet our God turned the curse into a blessing. Guys, we serve a God who takes the curse and he turns it into a blessing. The worst curse was the cross, right? It was you were hung up there naked with your sin and your shame exposed for all. It was a curse. And yet Jesus took that curse upon himself and he turned it into the greatest blessing of mankind. That cross is now the place of redemption. The place we look at and go, that is the most beautiful thing to us. Because it represents redemption and salvation for us. And a relationship that we can have with him. Guys, we serve a God who takes a curse and turns it into a blessing. We serve a God who is loyal in his love towards us. Guys, as we begin 2021, let's turn to the Lord. Let's be reminded that he is loyal, he is faithful, and that he is with us. But that we too want to commit ourselves to Him. We want to love Him with all our hearts, with all our minds, with all our soul, and with all our strength. And knowing that He'll never leave us, nor forsake us. Will you stand with me? I'd love to pray with you and pray for us as a community. Now, particularly, I'd love to pray for the men. Uh, you know, men, we don't get the option of whether we lead or not. We just have the option of being a good leader or a bad leader. God has called you to lead your family. Uh, and I, I really feel that burden as a dad myself. So I'd love to pray with you. I'd love to pray specifically for the men. Father, thank you for your faithfulness. Even through tragedy and difficult and circumstances, Lord God, you have remained loyal You've shown your love towards us. Lord, I pray that you would forgive me where I can be so blinded 
to you. I can only see situations and bitterness creeps in. Lord, I pray that you would forgive me for that. I pray that as a community, you would keep us from that. That you, again, would help us lift our eyes up towards you and to see you for who you are. Lord, I pray for the men at City Reach. I pray, Lord God, that you would give us your strength and your wisdom to lead well, to be husbands that love their wives, who will lay down their lives for their wives, to be dads who will point their kids to the Lord. Father, we love you. We thank you for your faithfulness on which we stand. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.